After the Time Out podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Time Out podcast, we sit down with author and motivational speaker, Jamie Beckler. Jamie was a former athletic director and head college basketball coach prior to becoming an author and motivational speaker. We talked to Jamie about ideas to create a good culture in your program, working through issues within your culture, important leadership skills, his work with college and professional sports teams, and how to continue to develop your program and yourself as a coach through COVID-19. Enjoy the show. The first question I wanted to ask you is, there's a lot of difference opinion in society at anything we talk about, whether it be COVID, whether it be politics, but I just want to keep it to uh, the, the sports realm and, and when teams get to play and not play. Um, I, I think it's very easy to at someone on Twitter, make a comment, um, but as a coach and a leader, how, how do you have an opinion but still set an example of that, of your leadership and how you want your kids to, you know, go about you know, their season their, and their, their lives after you're done with them. Yeah. Uh, great question, Todd. And, and I think it starts off with, first of all, and, and the, I don't mean to sound like uh, uh, Socrates or one of these philosophers, but it starts with, you just don't know what you don't know and you're not the expert. Like, like, even if you have an opinion and it's well-founded, you might be wrong on it. So we don't want to die on a hill. We don't want to be so gung-ho about our opinion. And so it starts with that, that there might be some things that we don't know. So as Stephen Covey says in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so we need to understand the situation. We need to understand where our players are coming from. We need to understand a lot of different sides and we may have an opinion and we probably will have an opinion on a lot of things, but it'd be really great if your players don't know what your opinion is. If other people don't know what your opinion is, if, if it's controversial, um, that would be nice because what you want to do is, is you want to understand where other people are coming from. You don't want to force your opinion necessarily. Um, on on your kids certainly but COVID's a great example you know there's there's a lot of different opinions there's a lot of different passionate opinions but but you don't want to uh, uh bring that upon your kids when you you know because they're going to have a different they might have a different opinion on something and it could be COVID. it could be social issues it could be politics it could be uh you know is uh you know music it could be whatever um, some of that is, is uh, more trivial than others, but I think that you need to understand your kids. You need to understand the situation. You need to see as much as possible, the whole forest and not just your tree. Um, I think that that's important, but what you want to do is, is you almost want to be, and, and I try to do this when I'm talking with, like, if I go out to a conference or if I'm on a, a conference zoom call or something, you know, and there's a bunch of people and they ask me an opinion on something. I try to present multiple sides where people might be coming from um, because I want to try to bridge some understandings. I want to bridge some opinions because I, I don't, yes, there are some things that are, that are absolutely all right. 
I'm dead set against, or I'm, I'm dead set for, or whatever, but there's some areas we can meet in the middle. Um, there's some things that, that we can find some commonality and let's start there. Let's start with the commonalities and then work out. Um, and, and, you know, I, I love the John Wooden quote, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to use that with this, you know, sometimes we just say, well, I, I don't agree with this person, or I don't agree with this situation. And that's all I'm, I'm done. You know, this I'm planting my flag and this is the way it's going to be. Well, that doesn't open it up for discussion. That doesn't open it up for, you don't know it all, you know, learn to listen and listen to learn. Um, you know, Stephen Covey also says in, in that book, you know, most people listen with the intent to reply, yes. not listen with the intent to understand. And I think a lot of our problems, whether it's sports related, politics, family, uh, my problems with my wife or not problems with my wife can all come down to, I don't listen very well, or we don't listen, or we don't understand where the other side's coming from. Um, you know, even if we appear that we really don't like that other side or don't like the opinion of that other side, but, but, you know, it goes further in the sports, you know, in the sports, if we are uncoachable as a coach, then we're going to get it handed to us one of these days in a game. You know, I think back to a time when, man, I did all my scouting. I knew this team inside and outside. All they do is play zone. Their coach is a friend of mine. I know they're going to play zone. They didn't play a lick of zone the whole game. They played man to man. And we were the only game all year, 30 games. We were the only team that they played man to man against. And that whole game, coaches asking me, assistant coaches asking me, players ask, coach, should we do something different? No, no, they'll go back to it. They'll go back. Trust me. Trust me. They're going to go back to zone. They're, they're going to go to zone. They have to. That's what they always practice. That's what they always do. I was right. That's what they always do. That's what they always practice, except for like two practices in one game. And, but, but sometimes we're not coachable as coaches. Sometimes we're not willing to admit we're wrong. Sometimes we're not willing to admit that maybe there's uh, multiple ways to skin a cat. Why you'd want to skin a cat. I don't know, but you, you know, there's multiple ways of doing things and, and we have to be willing to adjust and pivot. Sometimes we have to be willing to undertake to, to, to understand that our opinion might be founded in facts, might be founded in, in good logic, but other people might have other opinions and we can learn from something. Um, if nothing else, we learn how they think. We learn what makes them tick. And as coaches, that's really important. You know, I mean, my kids are, you know, your kids, you might not listen to the same music that your kids do, you know, but you sure better know what they like to listen to, mm-hmm. you know, because that might help you one day. That might be the difference between reaching them or not reaching them or, or melting some ice. And so I know I went a little bit off of it on a tangent there. Um, didn't directly answer your question probably, but. That's all right. It, no, but it, but it leads into an interesting thought that I had, which, you know, obviously we kind of just talked about a little bit of, of how coaches can improve, you know, so how, how can a coach, you know, improve their program and themselves right now during COVID? So like with us in Illinois, you know, we're not playing. What can a coach do to improve their program during this time when they're not able to play, but there's always a way to improve? Yeah. You know, uh, John Wooden used to say the best way to improve the team is to improve yourself. So first of all, as a coach, you've got to, you've got to get better. Use this time almost like a, a, a sabbatical or almost like uh, this is, this is uh, I think sabbatical is the word I wanted to use, but there's been NBA coaches. There's been college coaches that take a year off and just go around and, and watch other practices. And I think of Rick Carlisle, you know, he was coach of the year with the Pistons and the two years later was fired. 
and he took a year off and went around and, and he's been a fairly successful coach since then he got back into it with the Mavericks, but other college coaches have done that too. But look at this as like almost a sabbatical where you're going to learn, you're going to take this opportunity to become a better coach. Honestly, evaluate your coaching style. Honestly, evaluate how you've been doing. Think uh, this will be painful, but, but write down a list of the five knuckleheads that you've coached, you know, or whatever. Here are the five kids I couldn't wait for them to be done or I had the most problems with. And honestly, now that you're not coaching them, honestly assess, is there something I could have done differently? Maybe not to make them go from a knucklehead to like uh, the best player ever, my favorite player ever, but how could I gotten them from a knucklehead to just tolerable? Um, what could I have done? Not what could the kid have done, but what could I have done? You know, look at everything that you can. How can you become a better coach and more coachable? You're making yourself be coachable to yourself, essentially. You know, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be judged on wins and losses right now. I've got no pressure. So I can honestly be self-respect, self-introspective, respective, retrospective, whatever that word is. I'm not very smart. That's why I was a coach. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, you know, do that first. But second of all, I, I really, really seriously think that there are a lot of coaches out there dropping the ball right now during COVID because they're not staying connected with their team or not looking at it as I can build up my culture, even though we're not around each other. And, and the common thing that I hear is, well, they're all zoomed out or I don't want to give them too much on zoom, or I don't want to give them too much virtually or whatever. Well, what do you think your kids are doing right now? Like, I mean, they're not reading war and peace. You know, they're, they're, they're sitting watching the newest thing on Netflix. You know, they're, they're not doing really anything productive. Sorry, no offense to those kids that are, but most kids aren't doing really anything real productive if they're not playing right now. So, so I'm not saying you got to dominate five hours a day with them, but you need to stay in contact with them, stay in touch with them. And, you know, yeah, they're all zoomed out. Well, you don't have a zoom meeting. Like we're on zoom right now with this interview, we're recording this interview on zoom. You didn't say, Hey, Jamie, you want to come on a zoom meeting with us? You said you want to do a podcast interview. All right. You put lipstick on a pig. You dressed it up. We're doing a zoom, but you called it something different. So maybe you have a motivational Monday, you know, or, or maybe you have a chalk talk Tuesday or something wacky Wednesday. You don't even call it a zoom. Now that's how you do it, but you do maybe every other day or every day you're doing something for a half an hour with the kids. And it's a different theme every day. So maybe it's a chalk talk one day. Maybe it's a pure motivation type stuff, inspiration, hope, vision the next day. Maybe it's wacky Wednesday. I like that, but it's just pure fun, pure fun. No talking X's and O's, no trying to motivate them like Tony Robbins. It's just wacky fun stuff. Um, maybe you have a competition day, you know, maybe if your games were on Friday, typically, Maybe you have uh, on Friday, you have some kind of a competition with the kids. So do something where you're doing something different every day and you never call it a zoom session, but they look forward to it a little bit more because it's different. You're mixing it up. It's not always coach lecturing to us. It's not always coach trying to have a chalk talk when we don't even know when we'll play again. No, that was, you know, we haven't had a chalk talk in 10 days, but, or a week or whatever. So mix it up a little bit, but I think improve yourself as a coach, but then make sure that you're not losing the opportunity to build up your culture because, because here's the thing with culture. I mean, there's a lot of things with culture. 
your good kids, the kids you can absolutely rely on when quarantine is over, when lockdowns are over, when you get back into playing, whatever it is, no matter what state you're in, those kids are probably still going to be good kids, kids that you can count on. But right now, the kids that are average kids, maybe attitude wise, the kids that you struggle with, the knuckleheads, they're not ticked at you right now because of playing time. They're not ticked at you because you're mad at them because they didn't touch the line that they didn't go all the way to this spot to set that ball screen. They're not ticked at you right now about that, that emotional stuff. So you can actually build some bridges or melt some ice with some of those kids now, because there's not that, you know, coaches just being a jerk type thing. Um, so you actually have a great opportunity now to build some, build, build your culture. Um, so one of my favorite tweets of yours is the things that all players can do. Um, because that's just kind of one of my things, right? Those are simple things. I'm always control what you can control. And those things are controlling what you can control. My question is though, like, yeah, you can say that to them, but how do you let your players know the importance of these things? How do you show them, especially now in today's world, you look on Twitter, right? What do you see? You see a dunk, you see crossover break some guys ankles um you know you see spectacular and highlights yeah great question and and sometimes you might have to lead that discussion a little bit or or bring it up to them in a different way of um you know you you know you're seeing the dunk you're seeing the flashy stuff but maybe bring up a player that would be popular to them or or something like that that isn't in the nba or is struggling um and, you know, maybe why they're struggling or why they didn't make the NBA or bring up, hey, what do you think about this player in the NBA? You know, they'll naturally say, oh, man, coach, he's he's sorry, man. He's he's not any good. And you're like, yeah, but he's making like one point five million. You know why he's making one point five million? I didn't know he's making that. Well, I can't believe that, man. He's not any good. He's like, yeah, but do you know why he's on a roster? Do you know why he's making that money? And of course, they're going to say no, probably. And then you can go into, all right, this is his role, or this is what he does, this, this, and this. These are three things that he does, and that's what the coach is looking for. But he doesn't even play exactly, but he plays in practice, and he gets the guys ready, and he does this, this, and this, and he's not a headache to the coaches. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, NBA coaches are really no different than college and high school coaches. They don't need their 15th man to think that they can be the leading scorer. They need their 15th man – to not cause problems and not be a headache and not be high maintenance. I need them to be a towel waiver. I need them to help the, you know, their best friend, the athletic trainer and the water cooler. I, those are their two best friends. I need them to help get the water to the starters. You know, I need them to do that kind of stuff. And you know what? I'm going to, would you do that for a million five? Would you do that for 2 million bucks? Well, your kid's going to be like, of course, like it's no different on this team. You know, you do some of that stuff, you might get more opportunity or, or whatever. But, you know, you can present it that way. But, you know, those 10 things, I appreciate you 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 talking about that. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up, because no matter what your status is, what what your position on the team, how good you are or not, there's certain things that you can do. And and you take like a Kobe Bryant, you take a, a Steph Curry, you take a LeBron James or any of those guys. There are other people. Well, there are other people just as talented, um, to a degree. I mean, there's 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 guys that jump as high as those guys. There's guys that run as fast. Um, 
there's guys that maybe can shoot the ball better, but they have something. They do those 10 things as well. Um, the best players, the best players are the best players because they do extra and they do those 10 things. So we normally think of, you know, we see these 10 things all players can do. And naturally our mind goes to, all right, this is for role players. You know, this is for, you know, I even talked about it to start with the 15th guy on the bench. All right. They, they can do these, these things. Well, yeah, but your starters can do these things too. And if your starters are buying in and doing those things, man, they're going to now be go from starters to stars. Like they're going to be big time because not only do they already have a baseline talent, but now they're, they're losing excuses. They're on time all the time. They're encouraging one another. You know, they're lifting each other up. They're, they're doing all these things that are extra. And so, you know, the more that you can point that stuff out, you know, where you can outwork your talent, whether you're the last man on the bench or the starter, Kobe Bryant outworked his talent. Mm-hmm. All that means is that he had a world of talent to begin with. And he went like out of this world, you know, he, he, he took it to another level. Cause there's plenty of dudes, plenty of dudes that got drafted in the first round that got like one contract and were out of the league, you know, playing at the YMCA talking about what should have been um, because they didn't have a work ethic or they, they had excuses all the time. I knew a guy and he didn't make it the NBA, but he won the college slam dunk contest. A few years ago, he was a stud at the small college level, amazing player. And he got a, a, a G league opportunity and he missed, he missed the flight first game. They cut him. They cut him the next day. I mean, he missed the flight. He's done all world town. I mean, the dude, dude is amazing leaper all world, you know, could shoot all this kind of stuff, you know, whether he would have ever made the NBA, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that, but he had a shot in the G league. He misses one flight, done. Um, you know, some people will get second or third chances, but for most people, the NBA doesn't mess around. You know, and and those spots are valuable, and you've got to find a way to make yourself valuable, whether it's the NBA, college, or high school. You know, I know we don't have a I, – I, I mean, it's not like your whole audience is people going to the NBA or with NBA dreams, but, but you know – I'm working with some players or I was working with some players that were on NBA rosters and they're coming in from college, trying to make these NBA rosters. And the thing is they have no idea what to do during a timeout. They have no idea what to do when they're not playing because they've never not played in their life, except if they're in foul trouble or it's a blowout or if they're injured, like, but it's never been a coach's decision. I'm not good enough to play. You know, and, and their competition has been, all right, am I going to be the first score or the second score? It's never been, I might not even make the team. So they don't know how to become valuable to their team. Most people think value is just making baskets. But every single player on your team can be the most valuable leader, can be the most valuable teammate. And how can they add value to the team? And most people don't even think about that. What can I do? Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, to, to continue on you a little bit, Coach, you know, I, I'm just curious. You know, you started out, you know, we'll, we'll jokingly call it the dark side, but you started out as, a, as an AD and a, a college head coach yourself. You know, what made you decide to pivot and become an author and, and a motivational speaker? I just, I find that so interesting. Yeah, the short of it is I thought I wanted to be an athletic director for a number of years. I wasn't quite ready to be an athletic director, but a great opportunity came for me. So I left a great college basketball team. We had everyone coming back, best seasons ever, set all these records, had everybody coming back. But a great opportunity came along. 
and I got two years into being an AD and I'm like, I do not want to be in an office all day. And I don't want to be yelled at because we ran out of blue Powerade and they don't want to drink red Powerade. Um, you know, I just, you know, I went to way too many JV swim meets. I wasn't seeing my, you know, my family, I was being paid a lot of money, but I couldn't use any of the money. Um, you know, and even when I did get away, yeah. Even when I did get away, I went to Vegas once this has nothing to do, but I went to Vegas once and I forgot my cash at home. So I'm in Vegas with no cash. Terrible. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but, but essentially I, I, I'm making all this money as an AD and I can't spend it because I'm dealing with concession stands and JV swim meets and gymnastics meets and stuff. But I was like, man, this is not what I want to do, but I'd always had a passion for leadership. Even when I was an AD, we started a student athlete leadership group. We were doing a lot of training with leadership and I always had a passion and, and it stemmed kind of from John Maxwell. Uh, John Maxwell has written like over a hundred books on leadership. He's amazing. And, and so I had this passion and uh, I saw an opportunity to, to jump into it. A friend of mine had a leadership company down in Atlanta. So I went and worked with him uh, for a year to kind of learn the ropes on the business side of it. And I'd always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I mean, I have like 25 or 30 book proposals um, that I've put together over the years. And I wish I had started, you know, one a year, I would have like 25 or 30 books written by now instead of just three. So uh, I wish I'd started earlier, but I always wanted to be a writer. Always had a passion for leadership. I want to make the world a better place if I can. Um, I kind of always looked at that as a mission, but I didn't want to like go to some African jungle and translate Bibles or dig wells, uh, which is all great stuff. And mm -hmm. I am very happy to provide money to people that go do that. But I like to stay in the US of A and I like to coach <laughs> basketball and work with sports. And so I'm like, you know what? I, I, I let's, let's do this leadership thing. And so started the podcast, started writing books, started working with teams, caught a few breaks here and there. Um, one of them was working with the Raptors. So that was, that was a huge break. Uh, for me. And uh, that was really fun. And yeah, so it's been, it's been great. So you talked about it just a little bit, but as an author one, like I, I always think it's interesting where ideas come from. And then I, I think you, you led into it a little bit, but when you were a coach, like, were you thinking these things and you're like, Hey, I should write these down. I should, I should write a book um, or, or some kind of, journal or, or whatever it may be. <laughs> yeah, I actually, in 2001, I started, uh, what was it called? I started a, you might laugh, but I started online. I got this website. I started my own website and it was like a journal and I called it a web log. And I'm not joking. I had no idea that that was a blog. I called it a web a web log on my own. And then one of my players said, coach, I think that's called a blog. I'm like, what a blog. Yeah. So I was blogging before most people, before I even knew what it was, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I always like writing uh, my English teacher didn't think I should be writing, but uh, I liked writing. And so uh, yeah, she actually sent me a card. She sent me a note after my first book and, and said, not bad for uh not bad for someone that hated English, hated me and said that they would never, ever write again after college or after high school. But I actually liked writing. I liked storytelling. 
I just didn't like her. But uh, yeah, she gave us this. Uh, she gave us this postcard, and I, sometimes I look back and I'm like, God, how would I have coached me? I was such a punk at times, you know. But but there are those kids out there that are punks that can at least turn out to be halfway decent, um, somewhat respectable. But you know, she gave us this postcard like my uh, the last year that we had her in English class with a with a, a stamp on it, and she's like. When you get out of college one day, I want you to send this to me and let me know what you're doing. And I said, Mrs. Shannon, I will never send you this postcard. I sent her the postcard once. Oh. Yep. I, I ended up sending her the postcard. I matured. I went away to college and saw the light and uh, stopped being so much of a punk. But anyways, writing. Yeah, I, a lot of like when I started thinking about books, it was always like self-help type books. It wasn't until I got introduced to John Gordon and the fable yes. type stuff. And I love those books. They're simple. Me too. They're, yeah. They're awesome. And like every book seems to be a winner. Uh, every book I enjoy reading. And so I started reading his books maybe five years ago, six years ago. And, uh, and I loved them. And I was like, man, I want to write one of those. I just don't know how. And so naturally what I did was uh, there was a guy named Todd Gonware who wrote a book called lead for God's sakes. Um, I got him on my podcast and then I got John Gordon on my podcast and I picked their brains about how they wrote fables. So I was actually doing some Intel. I was doing a scouting report uh, and I was trying to learn how to write a, a fable, but I, uh, you know, I like that. I like that aspect. I like writing the fables, but uh, you know, the, all the ideas uh, pretty much for the bus trip, my, my latest book, you know, pretty much comes from, my career as a coach and then my career as an AD and the teams that I work with, you know, them telling me stories. I wanted to be as realistic as possible. You know, it's, it's funny. We're, we're talking about culture and culture is a, a really important thing for me. And, and my, my assistants will make fun of me probably the amount of times I say culture, but you know, as somebody that talks about leadership and culture, as much as you do, you know, I'm just really curious if you had to describe for all of our listeners, you know, whether they're high school, college, uh, you know, players, whoever, if you had to describe an elite culture in one sentence, what would you say? Yeah, this is how we do things. Um, that's a great question. Great question, John. You're right, because I'm used to. There's a there's a saying in like doing speeches like public speaking or whatever. Um, well, I'm going to butcher it. So I'll just, you know, like to give a long speech, it's easy to give a short speech. It's hard, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, I can talk on culture forever. When you boil it down into one sentence or one word, that's always tougher. You know, John Gordon does the one, one. word type thing. Yeah. But I, I think that's how, this is how we do things here. And what I mean by that is when, when your players start saying that to other players. That's when you have a culture, both good or bad. It could be a bad culture. You know, Hey, we go to parties together or we do this together. You know, uh, you know, you know, if you're in a, a bike team in the tour de France, they say, this is how we do things. And then they shoot you up with some, some drug or something, you know? <laughs> so it could be a bad culture too, but, but I think of it as a good culture. You know, this is how we do things here. This is when the players are bought in, when they take ownership and stuff and when everybody realizes that I own a part of this culture. So if we lose, 
we lose together. If we win, we win together. If, if you know what, things aren't going well, if we're, if we're struggling, if we're having challenges, well, we have to overcome those challenges together. We celebrate successes together. Everything's together. Um, and when you have a culture like that, I think, I think you're going to be much stronger when you're, when you're looking for reasons why we can do something, you know, going back to that, what I said earlier, you know, don't let what you can't do interfere with, or what you can do, can't do interfere with what you can do, you know? And so when you're a can do type culture, when you're a, a solution focused as opposed to, you know, problem fixated, um, you know, and, and do what you can do too, because, because sometimes players will sit around in a locker room and they think they're coming up with solutions like, well, this is what we need to do better. You know, we need to do this play or we need to do this drill, or they start to take on the role of coach when really what they need to, the solution is how can we buy in to what we're doing more? How can we buy into our teammates? How can we trust our teammates more? The, the plays are going to work. I mean, very few coaches run bad plays. Um, they might not explain them well. They might not teach them well, but very few plays are bad. Um, most of the time it's not executed well. And the reason for that I would say is, is, well, I would actually say it's coaching. Um, cause ultimately as coach, we're responsible. We're responsible for simplifying it. We're responsible for speaking their language, however we can to get them to understand. Um, you know, but I would also, if I was talking to players, I would say your responsibility, you're hundred percent responsible for buying in and and giving it a chance and then if it doesn't work you give it another chance and if it doesn't work you give it another chance and you keep giving it a chance until the season's over um but yeah that this is this is how we do things here so in going in going through that you know you mentioned you know you work with professional sports teams college sports teams you know whoever you know what were what were some of the programs that you worked with that you could just feel that they had that good culture and, and kind of what made that culture solid yeah uh, well I, I will speak to uh two programs that come to mind right away and uh uh one was the toronto raptors their overall culture um and i worked there the the year before they won the world championship i i worked with them a few times in the off season during mini camp when coach Casey, Dwayne Casey was still their coach and he mm -hmm. actually won coach of the year that year. And they got fired mm -hmm. as coach, as the reigning coach of the year, um, as the coach of the, he gets, yeah. yeah. But anyways, uh, their culture was surprising to me because I'd only seen it from afar, but when I got into it, all right, the players trusted one another. And, and the, the little known fact is that their starters played the least amount of minutes that any starting unit did in the NBA. So conversely, their reserves played more than any reserves did. The starters trusted that if I'm sitting, my backup is going to help us. And that by me sitting, it still helps out our team. Um, so they had a culture of, we don't really care who's playing as long as we're doing what we're supposed to do and we're doing it together and it's going to pay off. Um, now, some would say that it didn't pay off, but I would say that's just two words. LeBron James, LeBron James was absolute. He was the Michael Jordan to the Cleveland Cavs way back in the day, mm -hmm. you know, or to the Utah jazz, you know, the Raptors would have went, the Raptors would have gotten a chance to go get beat by the golden state warriors. If it wasn't for LeBron James, uh, LeBron just dominated them in the playoffs, but they had a great culture of everybody believed in one another 
and, and the stars believed in the reserves and vice versa and the coaching staff. This was the biggest thing that, that I was surprised about. The coaching staff was coachable. The coaching staff, you know, Dwayne Casey's making millions upon millions of dollars. You know, these are NBA coaches and they're coachable. They're listening to each other. They're listening to their players. They're listening to me. You know, they're asking me my opinion. I'm like, uh, you don't know. You don't need to know my opinion. You guys are the NBA coaches, you know, your team, but, but that's, they wanted to make sure they were, they were seeing the whole forest and not just their tree. They wanted to understand, they wanted to see different perspectives, not that they were going to take my advice or take anyone else's advice, but they wanted to know it. Um, and so I, they were very coachable. They were very coachable. Um, I worked with a college team and, and I'll mention, I'll mention the team because I, I think they have a very good culture in there, but, um, and it's not a team that a lot of people would know about, but Alabama, Birmingham, women's basketball, UAB women's basketball, and their coaching staff does an amazing job of emphasizing culture. They, they just have uh, a, a friendly, Hey, we care about people. You know, obviously X's and O's are important, but they are in the people business. It is so obvious. You spend five minutes with that coaching staff and they're about the people they're in the people business. They're in the people development business. And so they have some talented players, but they also invest in them as people. And then those players then are more inspired. Um, and so, you know, they, I, I got to work with them uh, quite a bit and the coaching staff was about people, but also the players themselves, they wanted to be coachable. They wanted to, Hey, how can I be better? You know, I, I'm a pretty good player. I'm, I'm all conference or whatever, but I want to be better. I want to constantly uh, uh, be coached up. And so they just had a coachable spirit, which was awesome. And they also didn't have a, I'm a senior or I'm a junior. I'm the starter uh, freshman carry my bag. You know, it was all about us. We, us, ours. It's, it's just so funny before I turn over to Todd, but it's just so funny you brought up UAB women's basketball only because there's like six or seven players from Illinois that play on that team. So it's just so yes. funny of all the teams you brought up because we're Todd and I are from Chicago that that was the team you brought up. Yeah, that is. And, and I, I'm pretty sure that the head coach originally was from Illinois. I think he coached boys basketball in high school at Illinois before he went to the college level. Um, uh, and then was an assistant. I think he was an assistant at Missouri uh, on the women's side before getting the UAB job. I forget his resume, but I do think he was in Illinois. Um, and I think one of his assistants was from Illinois as well. So yeah, they do have a little pipeline there. Um, you know, it's probably easier to get kids from Illinois to go down to, to Alabama into the warm, warmer weather than it is to get Alabama kids to come to Illinois in the snow. All right. So I'm going to go from my personal experience here. I've been assistant coach a long time, coach at the college level, at the JUCO level. But I'm taking over a program this year, right, in the middle of COVID. Um, but just in general, there's a lot of coaches out there taking over new programs, going to different places. Um, so as a, as a first-year head coach or, or just taking over a program, what are some of the key pillars and, and, and things you need to establish as a first-year head coach? Yeah. The very first thing is you're stupid. You're dumb. <laughs> no, T take it, take it that approach, not that bad, but take it the approach that you still have so much to learn. You have so much to learn. Um, as a young head coach, 
almost always us as young head coaches, we've been an assistant, we've seen it done, but we have these opinions. You know, we think we would have done it differently than what the head coach was doing. We see things differently than the head coach. And when I'm a head coach, I'm going to do it this way. Or I, you know, I've taken, gone to all these clinics and I have all these pages of notes and I learned from coach K or I learned from Tom Izzo or whatever. And I, I know what I'm going to do. Okay. But, but you're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to be coachable. You don't know it all. Don't be arrogant. Invest in people first. And, and I know I say that. I, I say that a lot, actually. I haven't said it as much tonight, but invest in your people. It's not enough that you care about your players. They have to know that you care. Um, and I made that mistake early on my first couple of years. You know, I'm running Coach K's stuff. I'm running Tom Izzo's. You know, I'm running Tom Izzo's rebounding stuff, Pat Summit's defense, and Coach K's offense. So I got the trifecta there. I should be pretty good. Triple crown, triple threat. All right, but we're not winning because the players don't believe in me. Now, I, I care about them a lot. I'm just not showing it. They don't know that I care about them. And I'm also going in there, man, I, I'm kind of a little not, I hate to say arrogant, but it's like, you know what? I, I paid my dues. I'm now, I'm a 27 year old NCAA head coach. Okay. I have, I have busted my tail, sacrificed no social life. I haven't gotten much money these last few years. I've done everything right. I've shaken hands, kissed babies. I've gotten the, the networking down. Like I am ready for this job. I have earned it. I know what I'm doing. Okay, but that doesn't matter to that team that I just took over. They don't care about any of that. They want to know, do, do I want to run through a wall for this guy or not? Am I going to buy into this guy, what he's selling? And I'm telling them, you know, all this stuff. Hey, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. This work, this work, this work. But they didn't believe in me. So I couldn't get them to believe in the stuff because they have to believe in me first. And they weren't believing in me because all I'm doing is telling them my background. I'm giving them my resume. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, this play will work because it worked uh, last year in this situation when we were at Ball State or when we were at Division Three playing at Division One, and this worked then. Well, they don't care about any of that stuff. They don't care why I got the job. Um, they Right now, they want to be believing in me. They want to buy into me, and I wasn't giving them a reason because I was looking at them. Even though I cared about them, I was kind of looking them as numbers or positions or whatever, and – I know that might not be the case with every coach that takes over. Um, that just might be me. Um, but, you know, I think we can learn from that. Put the, we're in the people business. We're in the people business. X's and O's are really easy for us. The people business isn't. You know, uh, like if, if, if my wife and I are struggling, if we're not communicating well or we're having a disagreement or whatever, it's really, really easy for me to bring her flowers, chocolates, balloons, or a little card. What's hard for me to do is day in and day out, show her I care, to pick up the socks off the floor, you know, to treat her well. Um, as coaches, it's really easy for us to put in a new play, change up the starting lineup or make an adjustment to a current play. It's hard for us to dive in and, and invest in people. But ultimately, ultimately, you know, the, we're in a people business. They're executing those plays anyways. And if they don't buy into us or if they don't buy into each other, then they're not going to run that play well, and we're not going to be very successful. Um, all right, so now we we got that buy-in where we're we're kind of running, okay? And this happens all the time. Um, you have a player, a parent in your program. Um, they're struggling to communicate. They're they're hurting the program. Um, 
kind of taken away from that culture, what are some things we could do to help help them and and kind of I guess teach them right what <laughs> how we how we want our 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 culture to be because that's eventually I to me that's eventually what it is right we're we're kind of we're kind of teaching them and helping them learn like this is this is kind of how we're going to do things. Yeah, well, you have a come to Jesus meeting with them. Uh, no, you, I mean, that's what a lot of coaches would do. You know, it's going to be my way or the highway. I, I take a different approach. And now I say this all. I have taken kids scholarships away. I have cut people from teams. OK, so I'm not Mr. Kumbaya. I'm I'm going to give everybody, you know, 57 chances, you know, turn turn the other cheek for my whole career. I, I'm not that coach. But I am the coach that, you know, if you're going to get rid of a kid or have this come to Jesus meeting where they might quit, you better make sure that you're right about that. And you better make sure that, um, and, and I know you didn't totally ask this question, but a, uh, a, a, an older coach that I really respect, you know, after a few years of coaching, he told me, you know, Jamie, after I'd cut like one of my best players, he said, you know, Jamie, when you cut, the worst attitude kid on your team, the second to the worst attitude kid now becomes the worst attitude. Hmm. And maybe they have just as bad of an attitude, but you never saw it because you were worried about that other kid. And now what you have is just as bad of an attitude, but less talent. <laughs> so um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that in terms of don't be so quick to just get rid of a kid. Um, Everybody, a lot of kids have redeeming qualities. So I know you weren't totally asking about cutting a kid, but I do think you've got to find some way to bridge that gap and connect with that kid and let them know that you care about them, that, that they are valued and that there's something that they could do. Now, for me at the college level, it was a lot easier to, tell, to show a kid that they're valuable because you recruited them for some reason. But even at the high school level, you kept them on the team for some reason. Now it is slightly different because you might've kept them because you just had to fill the uniforms or because their dad was on the school board or something, but you know, it's, it's a little tougher for you at the high school level, but still you've got to find value in every one of your kids and, and you've got to show them that. And, and let me tell you, let me, let me go storytelling here. I'll tell you a little story. I'm in seventh grade and one of my friends named Bill, we are in this class together. And we have this group project. And so we do the, you know, it's a partner project. And, and Bill is a screw up. Bill is a terrible kid. People don't, teachers don't like him, but I like him. He's my friend. Okay. We play GI Joe's together. We play football together in the backyard, whatever. I like him. And so we get together a couple of times. We do this project. He actually works at it hard. Okay. So we turn this project in. The teacher turns it back to us a few days later. I get an A and Bill gets an F. And I remember the teacher saying, Bill, there's no way that you did this work because I know Jamie is a good student and you're not. And there's no way you could have done this work. Okay, fast forward five years and Bill kills a couple people. You know, he spirals into drugs, kills a couple people. Okay, I have no crystal ball. You know, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that there was one time, one time at least for sure that I witnessed that there was a chance for an authority figure to catch Bill doing good, to add value to his life and to catch him at a moment when you could have boosted his confidence. Now, I don't know what would happen if he had given him that A, maybe the same stuff would have happened, but I do know that there was a chance that 
an authority figure had a chance to do that and didn't do it. I think about that story often. Um, as a coach, I thought about it. I still think about it often because how do we know that we're not experiencing that one time that this kid has, this one chance that maybe a kid had, or this one chance that this parent has? You know, we all have these parents that we can't stand, these parents that we think are, are bad influences or whatever. But there might be a time that there's a kind word we can utter or something we can say that's nice or, hey, we just go up to this parent. Hey, you know, Bill, Bill was really good at practice today. He did this, this, and this, and that's exactly what I, I think he could do that all the time. This was awesome. That might be the one thing that starts to melt that ice there with a the parent. So as much as you can catch people being good, I, I think that's an important thing. Um, but I do think you should connect and going back to one of your very first or the very first question about COVID now is a great time to melt some of that ice to break down some of those barriers with those more challenging kids or more challenging parents, because you're not dealing with playing time right now. You're not dealing with yelling at their kid. Um, if you, we were not in COVID, I would be saying right now, okay. Or I would be saying, Hey, if, if you're not in season right now, let's say you're a, a fall sport, let's say you're a football coach and you have a kid or a parent who's really struggling, you're struggling with, but maybe they play baseball. Maybe they play basketball. Well, in the winter time or in the springtime, you're going to those games and you're not sitting next to that parent because they don't like you. They don't want you to sit next to them, but you're going to, you're going to say two sentences to them at one game. You're going to say three sentences at the next game, four sentences, the next game. You're just going to say something nice to them. Um, you're going to look at it as a long game and you're going to start to build a bridge. You're going to start to connect with them. Same way with the kid, you know, kid sees coach coming to his basketball games or coming to whatever his swim meets or coming to his, you know, whatever soccer matches coach didn't have to do that, but coach is doing that. And you're not making a point that I'm only here for you, but you are definitely making a point that I'm going to say hi and I'm going to be friendly. And that just starts it's, it's baby steps. So pretty much anything you can do to connect with people. So we usually ask an after the timeout question. Sometimes it's to a coach. We're gonna we're gonna pivot this one to after the season because I think uh, this is something that me and and John have both both done before. Um, you know, after the season, with with players and as a coach, how do you reflect on that season and kind of evaluate where the players were and where your program is? Yeah, great question. Two things come to mind right away. Number one is I. And I know that this isn't the, the impetus behind your question or the, I, I know this isn't what you're getting at with the question, but I think coaches really screw up. I think ADs screw up. I think principals screw up. I think employers screw up because they only have one evaluation meeting during the year. They save everything for that one time, you know, after the season. And then we just you know, flood a kid with this, you know, these are the five things you did wrong, or these are the things that irritated me or you're fired. Well, why am I fired? Or why am I cut? Or why I didn't, I didn't, you started me all year. I didn't know you were mad at me or I didn't know you didn't think I could play or whatever. So I, I think that if you're ha I think that you want to have a culture, a coaching culture, a culture of coaching year round, or you could say a culture of evaluation year round, but you're always trying to coach them up. So you, you naturally want to equip your kids. Um, 
with the skills necessary to do their job or to play their position or whatever, but then you need to enhance them during the year, enrich them during year, constantly be coaching them up. And that requires evaluation. Don't wait till the end to evaluate them. Now, with all that being said, to answer your question, one of the things I would do is get them talking. You want to understand where they're coming from. So at the end of the year, you know, hey, how'd you think the season went? What's something you could have improved on? What was something you liked? What was something that, how could I have coached you better? Uh, we oftentimes don't ask that sometimes because we don't want to actually know the answer or we don't care to know the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say. Cause I'm going to coach the way I coach. Um, but get them talking. Once again, listen with the intent of understanding, learn to listen, listen to learn. And, and I think that that's important for coaches at the end of the year when they're evaluating not only the kid, but their program, because you're going to get some information. If, if three of your kids tell you kind of the same thing, even if they're all best friends and they run in a click, well, that tells you though, that you didn't do your job or something is lacking somewhere in your program. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to totally change your program, but it does tell you that, Hey, maybe I need to do a little bit better job of addressing this next year or, or more importantly, addressing it now in the off season. How can we prepare now for next season, but get them talking. Also, if you've got a list of three things, all right, these are the three things that I want Todd to do better next year. These are the three biggest weaknesses Todd has. Well, I need to ask Todd what he thinks he needs to improve upon. Because if you can give me two of those things, let's say, or even one of those, now you own it. You're invested in that because Todd, you just said that to me. It's not coach's thing. Mm. Like I could tell you those same three things. And even though those are the three things you would have told me, now all of a sudden it's coach's thing. Coach told me this. It's not, this is what I told coach. This is what I think. And I would go so far, even flipping around to the, the start of the season, when you do goals, when you do stuff like that, or even team standards, team rules, bring them into the process because the more that they can say the things that you would have said, now they own it as opposed to it's coaches thing. As much as possible, have them talk. And they're not going to say dumb things most of the time. You know, hey, hey Todd, what, what, are, what are three things or two things that you think you really need to work on? They're not going to give you, they're, they're not going to give you, well, I think I need to hand the cups to the trainer better. And I need to, I need to fold my clothes better or hang up my uniform. I mean, they're not going to say dumb things, you know, because there's, first of all, they're probably scared. They're probably a little intimidated being in this meeting. So they're going to say something. And even if they don't believe it, they're going to say something. And now all of a sudden it's out there. Um, and you can use that, you know, next year in the off season. Hey, Todd, you know, when, remember when you're in the office and you said that, you know, this is really an area that you need to work on. How's that coming? How, how, what are you doing? What's your plan? How can I help with that? That kind of stuff. I, I, I'm like taking notes as you're talking. Um, so we like to finish with a, a fun, you know, or an informative, you know, top five. And, you know, we've talked a lot today about leadership and we've talked a lot today about culture. If you were building a leader and I'm, I'm big on leadership, you know, I, I read the, the John Gordon books myself as well, as well as, as your book, um, what are what are the top five qualities that make someone a great leader to you? Oh my word, that that's tough because yeah, everything everything's good, but um, uh, responsibility, without a doubt, responsibility. You have to 
take responsibility for your actions. Uh, and that kind of goes to one, you know, Todd, what you said earlier about the 10 things all players can do. The very first one is, is lose the excuses. You know, we have to be responsible for our actions. Um, I, this is almost uh, defining the word with the definition or, or uh, rhyming a word with the same word, but be a leader. Um, what's the best qualities of leadership is, is actually choosing to be a leader. Um, stepping up there and, and saying, I am going to influence people. Um, I am going to step up. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it. So I am going to be a leader and we are all leaders. I think that's important. And, and we don't ever say that as a leadership quality because it's using the same word, but you actually have to choose to lead. And there's a lot of kids on our teams that either don't want to lead or don't think that they are able to lead because I'm just a freshman or I'm not the captain. Um, and so you have to step up and, and be willing to lead um, empathy or understanding perspective. You know, th those will all be the same thing. Kind of, you have to understand you can't be a good leader if, if you don't have empathy or you can't walk a mile in someone's shoes or understand where they're coming from. Um, this goes with politics. This goes with family, business, sports teams. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you don't understand where the other side is coming from, you're going to struggle. And, and as coaches, we're older than our players. We're an authority figure. We're, we're, we think like a coach, not a player. And even us as a 16 year old is different than them as a 16 year old. And so we have to understand, be empathetic, see their perspective. Um, so uh, I'm going to cheat and say those were, uh, that was five. I gave you a five, a bunch of words, but um, yeah, you know, uh, the uh, integrity. I mean, I, I got it. You know, the funny thing is I started writing one of my books, my, the leadership playbook, and I wanted to have the starting five, the starting five principles everybody has to have. And I, I forget what it is. I think I came up with like 10 or something. These are the 10 basics. And it's like, you just, I start writing and I'm like, all of these things, I can't not have this one. You know, it, it, I just felt like, man, well, if I write this one, then I've got to have this one. And then I've got to have this one, but integrity. Uh, you've got to have some integrity or character, you know, that goes a long way. You know, are you who you say you are? Are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Um, you know, and, and attitude, attitude, you, you've got to have a proper attitude. You've got to have a good attitude. Uh, you know, when things suck, when things are going bad, are you going to make the best of it? So, you know, John Gordon talks about positive leadership, you know, so you got to have a positive attitude. It doesn't mean that it's always rainbows and butterflies, but man, it means that, you know what, I, I'm going to do what I can to find solutions and make the best of it. So, um, yeah, uh, what I have responsibility, integrity, empathy, slash understanding, slash perspective, responsibility and be attitude, a leader. Oh, a leader. Yeah. I forgot the, yeah. Be a leader, step up, choose to be a leader. Um, you know, my podcast is called success is a choice. And we talk a lot about choices, you know, you, you're going to make are your choices you're making today on par with the goals you have tomorrow. You know, where do you want to end up and are you making the choices to get there? Um, and in the same way, failure is a choice too. You know, we choose all the time to, to fail. Um, I don't want to get out of bed on time or I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. Well, nobody chose that for you. You chose it yourself. Now we might make excuses, you know, when I'm late for, uh, when I'm late for school or I'm late for work, you know, I'm going to make excuses but the reality is I didn't leave in time. I didn't get ready and I didn't, I didn't prepare ahead of time and account for maybe there's a train, maybe there's traffic. 
Um, you know, and so, you know, it's ultimately up to us. We make choices every day um, that determine our success or failure. Coach, I, we couldn't be more thankful for you joining us. Listeners, if you have not checked out his book, The Bus Trip, I myself uh, did read it. Phenomenal book. Great fable about, you know, bringing a team together. Uh, follow, follow Coach at Coach B-E-C-L-H-L-E-R on Twitter. Um, but Coach, again, we, we couldn't be more happy, enthusiastic, and, and thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me. Keep up the good work you guys are doing, both as a coach, um, both as a coach and, uh, uh, you know, with your podcast. Because, you know, you're your coach, you're on the front lines as a coach. And then with the podcast, you're, you're helping coach other coaches. So it's awesome. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Coach. We appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening. Thank you.